Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Benoit. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Is that your... I don't know. I'm, you're trying different to, things out? I'm going to try a few things. Do I have to have something? Like I a don't signature? know. Daniel was consistently hello, hello for the longest time. Oh, it was, he said hello, hello? Well, I, I don't know if I could stick with hey, hey then. No, you can't. Okay. And then that's... We'll, we'll, well, we'll change it up yeah. next time. All right. Uh, we have a guest, a returning guest today. Channel. Back again. Back again. Uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, the last time she was on, uh, we were just talking before the podcast. I told her, hey, I've had several people um, r- respond to me uh, in a positive way about that podcast. However, they scolded me for reading inappropriate books to my 10 year old. I know it's not just too much. He most of the time reads to me. Um, actually my wife was looking through my phone last night and she found, uh, two nights ago, we're in Ivanhoe right now, by the way, um, two nights ago, uh, he had, was reading to me and he took my phone and took, took a video of me sleeping because I <laughs> while you were asleep. reading or while yeah, he was reading to you while he, he was effectively <laughs> reading to me. Uh, so it's really, yeah, it's really bad. All right. So, uh, Karen, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, okay. So, you are currently the professor of English at Liberty University. You've taught tons of stuff there, but you've received multiple awards. I love what you write and what you write about what others have written. And uh, now you're moving over to our good friends at Southeastern, uh, Southeastern Seminary. Can you talk a little bit about that new role? Sure. Yes. I am finishing up my 21st year of teaching at Liberty University. Um, I thought I'd be there forever. I guess I I was close to it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it's been it's been so great. Uh, Liberty is, you know, really the reason for I am who I am today. Um, They invested me and supported me and um, and now, you know, Southeastern came along and has offered me what's essentially a pretty big promotion in taking the post as a research professor, uh, which basically means that I'll be dividing my time between teaching and doing more writing and researching more of the kind of thing that I already do, but with more time to do it. That's awesome. So I'm, yeah, I'm very excited about that. I love the folks at Southeastern love the campus. It's (laughs) gorgeous filled with books and, um, (laughs) and just, just a beautiful, smaller, smaller community, which is really the kind of place that my heart has always wanted. Well, it's so good to hear. It is a beautiful campus. Like it is, it's kind of like stepping back in time. It's the old wake forest, is it not? Yep. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, you know, lots of bricks, lovely columns. (laughs) Uh, it's Raleigh Durham. So of course it's brick. All right. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit, uh, you, you know, we, we, um, we walked through on reading well, uh, last time, but now you've taken that to a whole new level in a series of books. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and then I have a couple of questions for you. Sure. So my last book on reading well is one where I wrote about, um, about a dozen works of great literature. Um, and a lot of people who were uh, reading the book, uh, because each chapter was divided into a book focused on a, a classical virtue 
and how that connects with a particular work of literature. A lot of people were telling me that instead of reading the book straight through, they were stopping and reading the books that I was writing about, which absolutely thrilled me. I just thought, you know, I'm just going to teach people a little bit about literature. They can feel like they've read it. But a lot of my readers wanted to go and actually read those works of literature. And so I, I, I think that we've reached a time where people, Christians especially, are becoming hungry again for classic literature. They've read a lot of theology, read some philosophy, read history, read a lot of Twitter. Um, but <laughs> a lot of people haven't read any of these works of the classics or they haven't since they were forced to in high school and hated them. And so B&H actually approached me with this idea about releasing new editions of classic works of my choice, um, beautifully bound and beautiful pages and adding the introductions and discussion questions that I write that are particularly geared toward new readers, Christian readers, emphasizing a Christian worldview. And so thereby, you know, allowing people to pick up that book that they haven't read or haven't read since high school um, and have kind of a classroom experience with it because I'm writing an introduction, including discussion questions um, for them to engage with the text more skillfully. I love that. I remember when On Reading Well came out, just as you were saying, I saw so many people going and buying so many of the books that you were recommending. And it was like, thanks, Karen, for recommending this. And it was, it was so cool to see that your book, which was highlighting these classics, was leading people to dive right back into them. So that was really cool to see. It was. So, uh, you know, when, uh, when people ask me, for recommendations for reading, um, half the time, and I'm not joking about half the time, I'm like, have you read Adler? Have you read Mortimer Adler's How to Read a Book? Um, because if you don't, if you haven't, and you're serious about reading, you probably should. Um, how do you, is that a, a recommendation that, that you would have as well? And how would you suggest someone go about reading books. I mean, obviously you've kind of done some of the heavy lifting for them in the new series, but um, make sure you read it while reading <laughs> on reading well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Adler is great. Um, and it, it's, it's, he's, I've heard some people say, you know, it's a, it's a lot. I mean, he's, it's a little bit more than what you need. It's a pretty thick book on how to, how to read and, and he's pretty exhaustive, but, but that's fine. Um, and in my introduction to Unreading Well, I do give some tips and it's actually easier than you'd think. <laughs> the problem is that we are so habituated today to reading quickly, skimming, reading as much as we can, emphasizing quantity over quality, that it's not just a, it's not just a, a decision that we make to read differently. We actually have to develop those reading muscles in the same way that we have to develop our physical muscles. Like we can say, oh, I've decided that I'm going to get fit and go to the gym. We, yeah, okay, that's a great decision to make, but then you actually have to work at it. And reading good books well requires the same kind of shift in everything we've been doing all day long when we're reading our Twitter feed and emails um, to something entirely different where we slow down that's my biggest recommendation is slow down. I think you should take notes or mark in the book or do something to engage with it um, and read reflectively. Reread a sentence that just 
grabs your attention or you think that you miss the point because good writing is not the kind of writing that you can skim. It's like looking at a, it's like looking at a painting. You want to observe and notice the, the reason it is the way it is and how it achieves the effect that it achieves. Now that doesn't mean you spend, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to make it seem like it would take a year to read one book, but, but maybe it would. Um, and reading one book well is far better than reading 10 to check off your list, I think. Yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, we, we do love books here, but you probably wouldn't know it uh, because we do a book breakdowns. Uh, book breakdowns happen, I don't know, like once or twice a month. And it's meant to be uh, bringing it's usually a business book or, you know, some, some, some book that would be a strategy book, something that would be, I mean, systems-based thinking, <laughs> something that would be good for pastors and church leaders that they would never read. Um, so we'll break that book down and then we'll be like, okay, is this a sit down, skim, or listen? But mm-hmm. I, I would caution people that if you listen to a book, especially if you skim a book. But if you listen to a book, it's still, it's almost like a one-way conversation. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so what would you say to, I heard you talking about how um, you would walk through a book. How would you encourage people to take notes? So if you look at the front or back of my book, it's basically a, a synopsis of, you know, the reason why there's blank pages in the front and the back is for notes, people. <laughs> um, but how do you go about doing that? So I know the importance of taking notes. I can I can tell people it's important to take notes, but how would you go about doing that so that it can be something that you can refer back to um, or, or to get the most out of a, a book? Well, again, it depends on the kind of book. I mean, different books have different purposes, um, for me, if I'm just reading, um, a great work of literature, I'm, I'm mainly just going to underline things that jump out at me, turns of phrase, words that are new to me that I want to look up or I would circle them. And sometimes I stop and look them up right then. And then I write down the definition. If it's something that I want to, um, use for research or for writing, then I will take notes in a notebook, um, that I have, you know, a hand, a handwritten, uh, notebook, um, and there are times when I do just pick up a book to read that I that it, I'm telling myself this is just for fun and I'm I'm not going to mark anything in it. That's 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 rare because I usually do <laughs> want to mark it. Even, yeah, even even if it's fun, marking is is fun. Um, <laughs> but again, there are some books that are are meant to be skimmable. Um, I don't rec- you know recommend reading a lot of those. (laughs) Um, but, but when you do, I mean, of course it's like reading the newspaper, you don't need to mark up the newspaper, but, um, so it really just depends on the book and the purpose of the book and your purpose for reading it. But that also tells you the, what, what kinds of books you're spending most of your time reading. And that helps you think about it more. So Karen, you may judge me on this, but uh, one of the ways that I've gotten back into some of the classics, maybe I read it back in high school and I wanted to, I wanted to reread it, is listening to an audiobook. I would love to hear your thoughts on the difference between reading a book versus listening to it. And would you count listening to an audiobook as reading oh, you it? you went there. You went there, Chandler. <laughs> I didn't go there. No, it's, um, I, I think it's a good question. And um, 
I just saw some research recently. I haven't seen a lot of research that compares listening to a book versus reading it. Um, I, of course, and on reading well, I cite a number of research that shows reading on a screen uses a different part, shallower part of our brain than reading in a book. Um, so there's definitely a difference there. Um, but the bit of research that I saw does say that listening to a book is, it does reach the deeper regions of the brain more than reading on a screen does. Um, and my experience, I'm, I'm a developing listener. So by that, I mean that I am, I listen to audiobooks a lot now. I, I didn't a few years ago. I listen to them when I run. That's mainly, I can't, I'm not a multitasker. Like I can't listen to them even when I'm washing the dishes. I, I don't, that's, I, I don't know. That's too hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> Reading is something where I really focus my attention yeah. so, and listening. Um, so I, all these people who tell me that they do re- listen to, to books, especially women while they're doing all this work around the house or what I like, I, I, I can't do that. Um, I wish I could, I, maybe I'll develop that skill. Um, but I, uh, because I'm developing my skills as a listener, just as I think many people who might be listening to this are developing their skills as a deep reader. Um, I actually can't read, listen to difficult works of literature on, on audio. I, like it has to be something, uh, entertaining, shallow, quick, um, because I just, Maybe it's because I'm running too, but, um, <laughs> um, I just, I just, I'm, I'm not an, I'm not an oral AURL learner as much as I am a visual one. So I think it's great. That's my short answer. I think it's great. Um, but we all have skill levels, whether it's reading or listening, and we should be trying to develop, to develop those, um, and not really get, not get frustrated with ourselves because we're not where we think we should be. That's how I treat myself with my listening skills. I wasn't even listening to you all this time right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you didn't shut me down too much. I I agree, though, to choose wisely. And there's certain ones where I'll start listening and I'm like, okay, this is definitely something I need to read. So that's, I agree with you on that. So I I feel validated that you just said it's okay. It's okay to listen to audiobooks. (laughs) While I've got you here, I'm going to take advantage of the situation and ask you. uh, So one of the things that I'll do is. I'll just get on one subject and then it's synoptic reading really like, uh, you know, I want to read, read widely on a particular subject. Is there any, is there anything, um, I guess, I, I mean, I just read them a period <laughs> and then, uh, compare them. And sometimes I'll find something in a footnote and be like, oh, I'm going to chase down that book because obviously it's referencing this book multiple times. It was probably written 40 years ago and it's really, you know, where a lot of the stuff came from in this field. Is there anything that you would do uh, or anything that you would suggest in how to do that? Well, re- reading on one subject from multiple sources. Uh, I mean, absolutely. The phrase that I use in my my first book, Booked Literature in the Soul of Me, I borrow from John Milton, and um, I advise people to read promiscuously. (laughs) Um, That's a quaint 17th century usage of the word um, that means, you know, read different points of views, read eclectically. And I think when it comes especially to the issues that we care about the most, um, whether it's theological issues or doctrinal issues or social issues, um, we need to read 
all of the different views. Um, you know, for a long time, for many years, my, my passion has been the pro-life cause. And I have read, you know, not just things by pro-life people, but abortion supporters and advocates and uh, providers. I mean, I really want to understand their point of view so that I can better understand and support my own point of view. And so I think it's very important. And um, it's, it's an intellectual virtue, actually, to be sure that we understand all of the fact facets of a particular issue. Um, yes, there it is. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, what do you want me to do with that? Back up and start the answer again, or no? Keep going. Or is it okay? Is it okay? okay. It's great. We love dogs. <laughs> Good. Um, so I, we need to understand all the facets of the issues that we care about, and um, just intellectual integrity and honesty demands that we especially understand the opposing views. So in a world of algorithms that are increasingly um, shoving content to us that we either diametrically oppose or something that they know is going to resonate with us, so we'll click. Um, How would you suggest we go about navigating a world like we're in now because it does seem like we're being fed um, more based on whatever we've already consumed. And it's usually one or the other. It's usually, you know, something either we really agree with or disagree with. Um, But I just think, you know, some of what I'm uh, interacting with lately is political truth versus objective truth versus biblical truth. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's really difficult to have, to have conversations, um, with people. So how do you, how do you, I guess uh, that none of this is really a question. So I need to ask you one. (laughs) How do you process? Sorry. I'm thinking out loud. This is a good conversation. Um, how do you, uh, how do you process when you've read widely, when you've gotten these different points of view, how do you process that in order to glean, something out of it is that do you do that with another person uh do you talk through that is it going back and looking at different notes like how do you how do you walk away with something um from reading widely i well there are a lot of ways to do that uh we actually never think for ourselves i just got done teaching um alan jacobs fine book how to think in uh, my writing class and, uh, and, and one of the points that he makes it so powerful is that we use this expression, think for yourself. And he says that that's actually impossible. We never think for ourselves. We're always thinking with other people. And if we change our mind or change our view on something, it's not because we've learned to think for ourselves, ourselves, or it's not that we've, you know, come to some conclusion independently. It's that we have changed the community with whom we think. So we're always thinking in community, whether that's a Twitter community, a church community, a family community, and hopefully we're part of different thinking communities and we can be intentional about, about those communities or adding communities. So um, for me, I mean, I have um, my real life friends that I talk with, go out to dinner with, discuss things with. And then there are a number of Facebook groups that I belong to of, of writers, of 
Christian leaders, of younger people primarily who are engaging the culture and who have discussions about these topics. And it, it allows me to see how people are thinking about things differently within a trusted community, but within a community that I know has pretty diverse points of view. Um, and so as someone who is, is I, a leader of sorts and a, a thinker and a writer, I have an obligation, I believe, to have my ear to the ground, listening to what people are saying. Um, and before, before I articulate my own position, because even if I already have my opinion and that's not going to change, understanding what other people are thinking or the problem or issue they have with the way I'm thinking is going to make me articulate my position in a better way. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. Thank you so much for that, Karen. Well, now we're going to move into, just as you were talking about there, as a leader and a thinker, um, we're going to move into more of a leadership aspect question. So let's get started with the first one. What is a conflict or failure that has benefited you in leadership? I know you said you were at Liberty for, what, 21 years now? I'm sure there were just a few maybe failures maybe or conflict. conflicts. Maybe. So <laughs> we'd love, love to hear this. Um. Well, actually, the, the, I think the, the first one that comes to mind is, um, it, yeah, the, the, I think the failures and conflicts that I have in my, in my workspace are like just so boring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I think of, for example, of, um, of a time when I had to part ways with an organization, um, you know, that I was partnering with, um, we were really, on the same team, had the same goals, big goals and small goals, but it ultimately we had a difference in strategy and, and an approach. Hmm. And it was kind of difficult to have, you know, to part ways with, with people that you believe in and you support um, and to discover that kind of difference of leadership. But it was beneficial to me because it helped me to know myself better. It helped me to understand that I do have a particular way of leading, of engaging in the culture. Um, not everyone has to do this the way that I do or nor should they, but I'm pretty committed to what I do. Um, and I, you know, if I would love to have buy-in, but if I don't, that's okay too. And I think I really needed that for myself. I needed to know that I was that I was leading the way that I lead because I believe in it. It's right for me. Um, and it's effective and we, we all, we were all doing things differently and that's okay too. Um, and of course that occurs within a, within a context where I think we're all, um, 
this is, I mean, this is, it's, it's so cliche. We forget how true it is. These are very polarized times. Mm. Um, and I think in my, in my world and among my friends, we're seeing a lot of people who just, um, especially in the, in the public sphere and in ministry within, within the Christian church, a lot of people who used to engage with one another, um, and talk with one another, just even casually don't do that anymore. Yeah. It's almost like there's a fear that you know people out there will see me talking to this other person, um, who doesn't line up at 100% with my views. And it's, people are, people aren't doing that anymore. They aren't engaging across even the faintest of, of lines. And so that's forcing me to think about how I'm going to lead in this particular time, because this particular time is very, very different from five years ago. It's very different. And I'm having to adjust my message and my style of leadership for my audience because the audience has changed. And I think that goes back to what you were just saying before is like understanding the different viewpoints and understanding where other people are coming from. So I, I think that ties in really well, just even with what you were just saying. Well, and it's hard. I mean, yep. it, it is, it, it is, uh, hard sometimes at the, at the same time, it's, it, it's interesting to me that in part I have the role that I do at Lifeway because I have a wide variety of, of friends and from a theological perspective, perspective. Um, and it's in part my role to have those because we serve a lot of people outside the SBC, particularly in church planting. Um, the, the consortium we host with Ed has, it represents 76% of the church plants in North America. I mean, it's mm-hmm. massive and you can imagine that from a theological perspective, they're they all agree. There's a lot, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different views. Um, but even going back to, you know, time spent in D.C., you recognize that, oh, you know, there are people at our church that were on both sides of the aisle. And mm. and you know that those are good and godly people and you love those. And But in this climate, especially outside that area, but even inside that area more and more, it has become such a... Oh, I, it's heartbreaking uh, because, you know, uh, because of the relationships, especially in a church setting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to the next question here. And I know, you know, with as much reading as, as you've done, there's probably some different um, influences on your life of authors that you've read, but also other people in your life as well. So who or what has been the greatest leadership influence in your life? Well, um, you know, I, 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 um, I don't read a lot of like leadership books. Sorry. I think I said that on the last, the last one. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, yeah, so good. So I don't, I don't, I don't, can't point to those kinds of, every, uh, every book I read is a leadership book. Cause that's the lens. <laughs> that's the lens. <laughs> like what that's can true. I get from that's this? That's true. That's true. Um, but I would just say, you know, uh, I, my parents just raised me to be independent and confident in myself. Um, I don't know that they did that intentionally, but that's just how they are. And, um, and so I, I owe so much to that. Um, but I also remember 
being a, a young woman going to um, my first uh, church. My husband and I were going to our first church as, you know, as, as adults, a married couple. And uh, the pastor who married us and discipled us, um, he he just came to me and said that he was recommending me for a leadership position in our community. Mm. And I had no idea why he was doing that. <laughs> um, I did not see myself as a leader or a speaker in any way. Um, but he saw that in me and um, the other, uh, his colleagues in this sort of inter uh, denominational regional organization, all put their support behind me, all pastors. And these, these pastors, um, just said they wanted me to be, to lead this effort. And, um, that really changed everything for me. That's, that's when I became a leader is when, when pastors saw something in me that I didn't know that I had and put me in a place that I didn't know that I was ready for. Um, and so, that was, that was key. And that's something that I try to replicate now. I, when I try to identify whether it's in students or colleagues around me, um, when I see leadership potential or any other particular kind of gifting, I want to name that for them and, um, empower it in them and encourage them to pursue it. I love the humility in that answer. And just kind of in the story, I think it's easy, uh, not easy, but I think it's our heart's tendency is to, um, <laughs> the, the pride in us is, oh, I'm a leader. I want to be the one. And then for somebody else to call it out in your life. And you said, well, that's when I realized is when somebody else said you have the ability to lead and you have that in you. So, and just as you said, like you're trying to do that in other people's lives as well. And it's a great reminder for even myself is just one statement like that, giving affirmation to someone can, can change the trajectory. So I love that. Uh, I, I want to follow that question up with, uh, with with something that it may be from a leadership perspective or it may be from an education perspective, but what do you want your legacy to be? Like when you, when you look back, what would you like your legacy to be at the end? Yeah. Um, so I, I, could, I think I'm thinking about this, um, this, these particular times that we were just talking about, um, and this cultural moment, which I don't see going away. Um, and by this for any time, any time soon anyway. And so in this cultural moment, I think it's, it's, I would define it as for the church as one of, you know, of confusion and polarization and a lot of eating our own, I guess, um, sadly. And so, I think what I want my legacy to be um, is to to help to refine truth from the appearance of truth um, and to to pull people away from the partisanship. And I don't mean just political partisanship, but I mean, you know, any kind of factionalism um, to pull people from the kind of factionalism that, that, that pulls them away from the truth. I mean, so in other words, I think, I think all of us are, we're, we're in this sort of chaotic time and confusing time and we don't know who to believe. We don't know what is truth. And we're though, even those of us who really want that, um, are having difficulty seeing it. And it's so much easier just to follow our faction or our party or our, Mm -hmm our tribe, um, 
or it's just easy to see the to grab hold of the big obvious truth um, that doesn't do us much good when we've got to figure out how to apply that truth to these times. And so all this is really about, I guess, like nuancing, uh, uh, nuancing our ability to see and apply the truth and also to pursue it apart from our comfort zone. Um, I, tr- I try to do that and it's, it can be costly and it, it brings about, you know, separation, misunderstanding, and so false accusations from time to time as well. Um, so it's not easy, but if I can sh- model that for other people and more of us can pursue capital T truth apart from the other things, I think that's what's going to get us through this difficult time in our country and our church. Mm. Well, Karen, thanks. We appreciate you for stepping into that space. And um, I really do feel like you are leaving that legacy behind even now. And um, thanks so much for being on with us today. We've enjoyed hearing a little bit about uh, your your leadership journey and then also just getting to talk about books, which we love to do as well. <laughs> and if you were listening to this, we hope that you found it helpful. And make sure to go to check out on Reading Well. And you're going to go find chapter by chapter. You're going to be buying books right. while you're reading. But then okay. also... Yes. Also, all the many new books that come yep. out that are classics <laughs> that you have read or you haven't read before. Um, the way that these introductions are written, it's really how to approach this from a Christian perspective and really thoughtfully read. Uh, and, and so I would love for you to just pick up a copy. Uh, Sense and Sensibility, I know, is one that comes out soon. It's been a long time since I've <laughs> since I've read that one, and I actually think I'm going to break down and read it. Um, it's not the manliest thing to say on air, <laughs> but you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, is there is there any particular favorites that you had in, um, or so far at least in this series? Well, my longtime favorite is the one that will be coming out. One of the ones that will be coming out next year, and that is. Uh, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. So all the books that I picked are my, are, are my favorites for some reason. Um, but Jane Eyre has been my longtime favorite and I'm looking forward to writing about that this summer and seeing it come out next year. Um, but I think Jane Austen is a great start and I that, that's the one coming out it, this March uh, along with Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. They make a great pair. <laughs> Um, they're like opposites Um, but uh, I love Austin and I wanted to choose one of her novels that isn't the most popular or the most read Um, and so I hope that I will for anyone who's not an Austin fan yet I hope that I can help them become one and once again we are book people so these are hard books of course (laughs) and they're beautiful they look very art deco-ish um, so I would encourage you to, uh, to go ahead, go to Amazon or lifeway.com, pick those up wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for listening and tune in next time. See you.